You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I think uh, in the prequel, my favorite thing of this, when I asked Dan if, if he would do this, he made it clear that he has nothing to say. That's the kind of that's the kind of guest I'm looking for. I want yeah. someone with no opinion and really no fact, just something specific. you're just finding out. Yeah, I got nothing to say, and I do it for three hours every day. <laughs> unlike you podcasters who do it one day or an hour a week. You remember Dan Patrick when we were in the movie Basketball? Oh yeah. And so Dan was like the big deal. I was just like his Wait, new guy. Are we recording this? Is this part yeah, of the podcast? We're always recording. Okay. Yeah. And so, so as Bob Costas and Al Michaels were like kind of the bigger part than we were coming in for our little part. And we bump into Al Michaels. I've never met him. Shake hands. How you doing? He says, you guys are on in 10 minutes. I said, oh, okay. You know, we're looking at each other. Really? It's like, you know why? Because I'm fucking leaving in 10 minutes. <laughs> That's why you're fucking on in 10 minutes. These fuckers. And he just lost it on the set, right? He he was mad that they'd held him longer, I think is what it was. You're just learning about this now? I don't remember <laughs> that. Start this fucking show. What are we Here doing? we go. Let's do the Sports Center tease. Mm-hmm. Ready? Three to one. My next two guests. Check as they one, say, two, three. need no introduction. Check. They like to interrupt. Hello. Check. Yeah. Hello. 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 Check one, two. That was three. me imitating Keith. All right. So Keith Olbermann and Dan Patrick are the guests. Keith Olbermann helped me twice to get work. Firstly, in 1994, when he was wearing the leather jacket, standing next to Susie Colbert, starting the show called Sports Night. I guess it started in 93, actually. Yep. And, and, and ended in 93. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it lasts a minute. So, so Keith goes crazy and says, I want to go back to Dan. Fuck this show. I want to be back on Sports Center." So they let him go back over there. Stuart Scott moves up to be the new lead anchor with Susie Colbert, and they needed one more person, and somehow that was me. Then, just a few years later, he goes crazy another time. I'm leaving the whole fucking place this time. I'm, don't, I want to get away from Dan. I want to get away from all of it. And they need somebody to sit next to Dan, and they had like this weird three- or four-month rotation and they'd offered me to an extension on my deal, but I turned it down because I thought it was too low. But this time they brought me in and said, exact same deal, but you get to sit next to Dan and you have to sign it. And so I did. Well, my apologies for both. <laughs> I thought this was going to be about us, Kenny. Yeah. I needed a big lead in to set up how I know the fucking guess. Okay? You're, just, you're just hearing about this for the first time, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> so then Dan Patrick, legendary broadcaster who formerly worked with Keith Overman, was nice enough to welcome me to, you know, sit next to him. And he got out of there fast. But you, you had the fastest exit of like, you'd be taking off your mic saying goodbye to the camera. And where's Dan? He's, you're gone. You left yeah. quickly. Yeah. Is yeah. it still that way for you at the, no, not as quickly, but, uh, yeah, back then I was out the door. I, I think I was taking my makeup off in, uh, the E's or the F's on the rundown there. <laughs> yeah. This is the exact opposite of my memory of my experience with you. You, you used to stay there for like three or four hours. <laughs> really? 
tape of the show. Well, yeah, that did, that is true. So you so you you swung back in the opposite direction after I finally broke you of that. I habit. didn't care <laughs> after that. I was like, you know, I looked at the show every single night. I would go get the tape in, and the, then stu- in the studio. It's one thing if you're going to do that, you watch it at home. Yeah, you can have a drink while you're doing yeah. it. If you need it, but just to, to do it in the studio is like. You know, it's not going to get any better just because you watch it again. I mean, it's, you can learn from I tell you, everything I've ever done. I, I've taped and now it's it's really useful to have that kind of archive. But you just, you know, you had to, you, you were very, very tough on yourself. Well, I kept looking for what I didn't do right. Yeah. And then Keith walked by finally and he says, you got the fucking job. <laughs> and and he was right, because I, I don't know what I was looking for other than I wanted it to be great. I wanted it to be perfect. And it couldn't be. But I discovered later on with a lot of people you, you just invoked as we were setting up uh, my friend Bob Costas, our friend Bob Costas, and in the 1997 World Series, I mean, it's the World Series. We, we have a little post party out in the, the, the place in, in Richfield, Ohio, where NBC Sports stayed and, you know, sandwiches and a couple of beers. And then Bob says, okay, where is it? And a production assistant hands him a small wrap package, a package which is clearly six VHS cassettes. It's two o'clock in the morning. Bob is going upstairs to watch game whatever of the world series again and i was like why why what what do you think and he used to there was a there was an element of doubt in him as to whether or not he would be asked back for the next game and <laughs> it, was, it was something just there's something about success that i've seen again and again and again for 40 years of people who don't really know what it is that got them there and therefore begin to worry that it might not be there in the morning it's like well, screw it. If it's not going to be there in the morning, there's nothing watching the tape is going to do for you to keep it there in the morning. So, and I was guilty of that. I, I, I truly was. Were you looking at it because you lacked confidence or because you wanted perfection or a combination? Probably both. Like I, I just, I wasn't quite sure. I, and, and Keith's right in what he said about Bob. And that is you almost feel like the next day somebody's going to figure you out figure you out and say, all right, come on in here. <laughs> You're not a sports center anchor. In yep. my mind, it always played out that way. And I, it, it took a while. And then once we sort of had our footing, I never thought about it because I, I wanted it to be equal footing. And it took a while to match what Keith was doing. And then he was probably taking a little while to be able to match what I was doing. So there had to be synchronicity. Once that happened, then I never looked back, but those first couple of uh, years, even with uh, Bob Lee, same thing. I just, I kept wondering, what is it I'm looking for? So keep looking for it. Well, that, that, that problem with, and I, I mean, problem is too strong a term. That, that habit in, in successful people is, is, you know, it has meritorious parts to it, which is you're always monitoring if your performance is up to your own standards, where you can improve what what you've done that made you laugh or be entertained or say yeah and that's i should do more of that but then there are people who are who have not been successes who do things like this because i mean i i bring back my old our old nemesis bill o'reilly who was a failure in television for 20 years non-stop got fired three times a year city to city three cities in one year things like that and then one day he was a total success and he didn't know why it changed from one day to the next, rather than just saying, well, it's circumstances. And they finally figured me out. He just assumed that something terrible was going to happen mm-hmm. the next day. And he'd go back to Scranton. And, uh, and, and that, you know, I've seen a lot of people who could not handle the success and would get maniacal about it because of that same kind of 
gee, I don't know. I'm, I'm not really sure why I'm here. And I, you know, it was like, well, you were just saying you were afraid they were going to take the sports center job away from you the next day. That's what I was hoping for. So, uh, you know, <laughs> just like, God, let me out of here for crying out loud. Well, there was so much, uh, competition there behind the scenes and the shows and fires. I mean, it was, there was a lot going on, Kenny. And even though like now it's revisionist history where people look back and go, Oh, you guys must've been treated like Kings. And you know, <laughs> just like, like all the ones who were guillotined and friends, yeah. <laughs> like those things, but we, but we weren't. And, you know, I think that fed into the insecurity, whereas Keith just plowed through, you know, his motto was fuck him. <laughs> and I, I just kept going, no, no, we got, come on, let's play nice. And, and then I just realized that, um, I, you know, you kind of had to kind of hunker down and that's what it was. It was Keith, myself, Mike McQuaid, you know, Ed Schimmel, and that was it. And then you're like, it's us in against management there, because it really felt like they, they were so nervous and in their words, uh, we don't want another Chris Berman. And I thought that's the last thing you'd want <laughs> somebody completely successful who's recognized exactly. everywhere and put your network on the map. That's that's what you you do not want to have to put up with all the eccentricities of a Chris Berman. You don't want a room full of Chris Bermans and the, I don't know, $75 million that you <laughs> make you in profit. You don't want, no, you don't want that at all. The thing no. is, by, by the time I got there, which was May of 94, my perception, you guys can tell me if I'm wrong, right or wrong. You guys had it made at that point. You ran the fucking place is what it, what it felt like to us, me and Stuart and Rich. I, we thought, oh, these guys kind of do whatever they want. They get paid the most and they probably should. They're really good and they have a good show. Are you saying even in 94, it was still somewhat tenuous? <laughs> yes. God, wait, I remember my last show where they cut, they cut my, uh, <laughs> my farewell for 15 seconds to throw in a tennis scoreboard from Dusseldorf. Was it a good yeah, match? It a, oh, wait, it was, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was top ranked, like 38th ranked player or something. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was always like, for instance, about your, your origin story, Kenny, when, when you came in. The reason, okay, first they, they let, I'm going to do this on the, on the podcast because it's the anniversary of the launch is October 1st. And every, every October 1st, I started to get the chills that we're, we're starting ESPN <laughs> two again. But the reason I went there was they, they offered, they gave me another $50,000. And when it was the total disaster that it was, and, and the people who came in and replaced me with Dan that time were also not particularly to Dan's liking. Um, it was like, I've got to get back on sports center. And they, everybody agreed. And they said, fine, we'll do it. We'll do it as of this date. We'll move Stewart up to replace you. And then we'll bring in this guy from Seattle who's making the garbage cans. And then we'll do this. <laughs> and we will need a new contract with you for $55,000 less a year. <laughs> I was like, so you're cutting me $5,000 to go back and do the show that makes all the money and get, get up, get me off the, the Titanic, which has caught fire while it's sinking. And and by the way, and then they said also we'll need an extra year on the contract at $5,000 less a year. So always buy. And, and those are just the big ones. Like as Dan suggests, there would be there, you would, we would have meetings over one sentence in the show where we would get yelled at and, and I would get yelled at for things Dan did. And Dan would get yelled <laughs> at for things he, uh, that I did. And sometimes we'd get yelled at for things the producers did. And it was, it was a constant desire to just to, to reduce the any sense of security your success might provide and i was asking for another tv monitor because we were doing more highlights more blind highlights than anybody and i just said can i have another monitor in my office and they said no it's precedent setting monitor what about computers we had to share until 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 we were together for four and a half years 
neither of us had a solo computer. I had to share my computer with in succession, Chris Myers, Steve Levy, and Craig Kilborn. And then finally we got a, Dan and I got a double, um, uh, it wasn't even our office. What would, what would you call it? A double cubicle. You had cubicles. But it was, we had, we finally, they gave us two cubicles next to each other and two computers. Yeah. And, and I remember Steiner coming over and going, what the hell is that? You got <laughs> what is that? Is that, a, is, that a, is that a prop of some kind for a shoot? No, they gave us. But they wouldn't day. even give us offices at the no. time, Kenny. And, and that was another thing that I got pulled into management's office one day and they said, you know, sit down. And I thought, all right, here it goes. And they go, um, we decided to give, uh, to give Chris Berman and, and Bob Lee their own offices. And I, I said, is that it? And they go, yes. I go, name a building after them. And they go, so you're okay? And I go, <laughs> yes. My God, yes. And that was it. I gotta, I've got to correct you on that because those two things did not happen simultaneously. They called you in and they called me in separately and said, we're giving Furman an office. And I went, oh, thank God that we don't have to listen to every one of his phone calls because he has the voice where it's like, God, is that you talking to me? First time when they offered me your job in 1990, I said no, because they wanted me to co-anchor with Berman. I said, I already lost most of my hearing <laughs> from being in high school with them. And this year, I don't want to lose the next year. But the, the, then it was, then Bob got really pissed off because he had been there longer than Chris for two weeks. He'd been there two weeks longer than Chris had. And Bob, I love Bob, but Bob's attitude was like, that's the most important thing. And they, they converted this little half makeup room that they had made. And they gave Bob that office and made the makeup lady set up out in the hallway next to it. And Bob had, <laughs> Bob had an office like Les Nessman from WKRP in Cincinnati. It like, it, there was a wall and a desk and you realize there was no space on either side of the desk. You'd have to, the only way to get for him to sit down is he had to like vault the desk and sit down. But he had the, he got the other office. Are you guys flattered or do you just think I'm stupid that I didn't have what that perception of what you guys are describing about your reality? Cause it, I knew there was arguments and controversies about material artistically, but otherwise we thought you guys were like, <laughs> you know, the two quarterbacks walk around out on the joint and we, it was us who were made to feel like you better not take a vacation. They could replace you. No, no. Well, that's part of, that was part of the illusion. Wasn't it, Dan? I mean, yes. it, we knew that everybody else there, uh, made so little money that they lived in caves on the outskirts of town and <laughs> didn't have shoes, but simply wrapped their feet in bandages. Uh, we knew that. I mean, with the place that the premise of it was, the idea that they should protect and encourage the talent by giving them money was very late into the equation. And the idea beforehand was still this, you know, 1982 mentality. It was like, uh, uh, I think we'll be able to give them paychecks tomorrow. How about you want to, you want to do it? You want to wait another day? Okay. Wait another day before you give them paychecks. Well, I don't know what the line was, but Dan, Keith came and left like 40 times. He, he can explain because I've lost the chronology, but Dan, you broke the money barrier somewhere around there. Whatever, you don't have to name the number, but right. You got to a greater reward for closer to what you deserved somewhere in that period, 97, 98, somewhere. Well, I was probably there 14 hours a day at that time. I was doing radio from one to four and then sports center at 11 o'clock at night. So, um, I was doing two jobs, working two different shifts and sleeping on my office floor for an hour in between radio and writing sports center. So I don't know if it was commensurate to the time I was putting in there, but 
Uh, yeah, I, I guess I broke what the million dollar barrier or something. Berman was making a ton of cash and it's not about the money. Kenny, we stop. <laughs> it's always about the money with you. Somewhat. And then when I went to Fox, I was making three times what Dan was making, but it's not about it's the money. It's not because I was three times happier than Keith That's was. Right. And, <laughs> and, and you had three times as many viewers too. Well, actually more like 33 times. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, but you had a better hell? sidekick, you know, and that's all that matters. God, no, that's not true. Lovely guy, but not even. Not yeah. A- when when you said, did you take the five thousand dollar pay cut, Keith? By the way, did, <laughs> if I did not take the five thousand dollar pay cut, Kenny, you would you would be you'd be working outside that house right now, rather than. Oh, I mean, the, what was that? I mean, it was it was clear. Remember, remember that that was the year that 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 Sports Illustrated did a did a thing on the worst and best in sports for 1993. And at the end of the year, we were told by somebody at SI who was who was favorable that ESPN two, particularly Sports Night, was going to be on that list of the worst things in sports. And we figured, <laughs> yeah, we yeah, okay, we're number one clearly, and we we might even be on the cover. And we came out and it was the number seven worst thing in sports. Number eight was Vince Coleman of the Mets throwing firecrackers at Mets fans <laughs> one day. And, and the mood in the ESPN2 studio that day was, yes, we're not the worst. So <laughs> if the price to get off that freaking show was $5,000, it's like, you need it in cash or can you just take it out of my paycheck? So, and also yes. there was <laughs> a time in there, Keith, and you'd know better than I would, but that was, we had heard with a, you know, from a, Good authority that uh, Sports Center was going to be the Sports Illustrated Sportsman of the Year. Oh God, I know. Yeah. Well, I mean, we got that we got that TV guide thing. I always thought was kind of a barometer of where we stood as we continue to pat ourselves in the back. Remember that? Yeah. Well, you should. I was about to tee up this because uh, we've kind of stayed in the dark for a minute here for the first 20, <laughs> 25 minutes. I don't know if anybody cares about this stuff. No, and, a and, lot of people do. I, I don't know. Don't you still get people? Hell, they say it to me. So I know they say it to you guys. And Keith gave me a great lesson about just thank him for remembering. Like that's, you know, because it was a pretty cool area. You guys really did do. And I I've, don't know the exact span of the years of Keith's coming and goings, but it was a really good run. A lot of us call it the golden age. Yeah. Um, and it was, you guys termed it yourselves, the big show. And you kind of like, you, and you kind of forced that on them, right? Like it became the big show. Cause you guys called your own show, the big no. show. No, the original word was, and I see from the earlier pattern here, I can see, I can use, I can quote myself exactly. Well, first or second night, then, then I was on with you or the first, we were originally half an hour still most of the time. And then on Sundays, we yeah. were an hour and we were on for well, one night, like the first Sunday I did, we had a fill for a ball game and we were on for like an hour and a half. And during one of the breaks, after reading the same Braves highlight nine <laughs> times, I turned to Dan and I said, Jesus, Dan, this is one big fucking show, isn't it? And, and I was like, Dan laughs. And I, and the next break, I just went and, you know, we'll be back in a moment with more of the big and Dan, Dan went white as a sheet thinking I'm out say that and i just <laughs> did the big show and then it was just let's every time every time i called it the big show was an attempt to make dan pass out almost everything and i did but it was a it was, it was a, a joke, joke. Yeah. Yeah. Not a yeah. and people yeah. people who saw the other shows said it was a shot at charlie steiner and bob lee and robert it wasn't that no it was that it was that this this was a lot of show with a very very limited margin between brilliant success and <laughs> the titanic catching fire before hey 
that was, that was the big show. And then we called it the big show. And then they got mad and said, call it Sports Center. So I said, this is Sports Center. <laughs> this is Sports Center. This is Sports And then they made an ad campaign out of that. So this way, all this stuff that actually works, works. It, it happens. I'm wearing it there. At the same time, though, no matter what that was, joke, not joke, it was the big show. It was the show that, you know, the show of record, as some shows like to call them. Like, you guys did a very popular thing, and it held a whole country's attention. Yeah, but but it was by accident. There's so much that happened. But I, I'd love to take credit for the things that may have seemed like we had a game plan. <laughs> it, I, I, I truly think that the show became better because we did it accidentally. Now, there were things when we put our minds to it. I think we did some really, you know, good, good work. But the other stuff was, you know, when we had we were scolded. Management brought us in there, you know, the big conference room, second floor, banging on the table. You will not call it the big show. You will call it. Oh, this is yeah. Sports Center. Okay. Yeah. And I'm going, oh, my God. And then we when, so we go to break. It's the first night. And I just know he is ready to go. I just know it. And I, fresh I I'm not. I, Thank you for I'm the not, fresh meat to throw in the yes. camera. Ah, I, ah. <laughs> I'm not even going to I'm not even going to tip my hand. I, I'm not going to say anything. I just know as he goes to break and we had like three items you got to promote coming up. Blah, 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 <laughs> blah, blah, blah. This is Sports Center. And I go. All righty, <laughs> fuck it, let's go. And that was then we were just ready to go after that. Yeah. And you, every night we would say, "This <laughs> is Sports Center." You mean every night, every break, every break? You were immersed. Break. It was finally it was <laughs> yes. the same joke. Yeah. Finally, it's finally to the to the to the point where they said, "You want to? Could you call it the Big Show occasionally?" Just put it like, yes, we have. And then they started the ad campaign called "This Is Sports Center." And I went, oh my god! And it was all accident. It was just accidental. Okay, can we it, can we at least concede you guys had a pretty popular show and continue to get praise for it for those who grew up watching it, myself included. Like, oh, yeah. these guys are fucking good. They know how to do this thing where you have fun yet still give the accurate scores most of the time, right? It's you're supposed to have fun. It's sports. Yes, but also keep this in mind, Kenny. That management, if management went all in like they probably do now with tech. It wouldn't have been anywhere near the same. I, I think that Keith and I went into every single broadcast, cover sports, but do it in a way where you might be able to slip some things by the goalie. And if you did, then you might entertain like the nine people working on the show and the camera people and they'd giggle and then we go home and we wait, we walk in the next day and go, you talk to manager? <laughs> manager say anything to you? No. Nope. All right, good. No, Bob didn't notice any of that. We got away with it again. What do you know? Oh, I mean, <laughs> the, 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 the way it's been portrayed, and I think Dan and I are both guilty of doing this too, leaves out the fact that we got away with 99% of what we tried to do. They did not yell at us about 99%, which indicates how much stuff we tried to get away with. But there was <laughs> one other motivating factor, which is, as the analogy we both used many times was this was the closest either of us would ever be to, to being in a World War I foxhole, well ahead of the line. So you never knew if the incoming shots were going to come this way or from back. So you didn't know where you were going to get that. And it was like, well, let's just cover each other as best we can and try to make each other laugh before one of us gets shot. And that was, <laughs> that was really it. And I mean, I, when I was a kid, I went to see my heroes, Bob Elliott and Ray Goulding, the great comedians. And one of the things that Ray Goulding told me, I was 14 years old, and I've never forgotten this, was that half of the stuff that he said on the air, and I saw this because it was a radio show, and I went in and saw it, and I saw what he was doing. 
his goal was to make his partner, Bob Elliott, laugh on the air, not laugh as part of a bit or a sketch or a soap opera spoof, but just like blow something out through his nose. That was the idea. Some, some liquid to come out of the nose with laughter in an yeah. unexpected fashion. And I always thought, well, that's a really good artistic motivating starting point. So every night I went out there, I looked for and didn't always find them, maybe once a week, something that I thought would make Dan laugh uncontrollably. And he did the same to me. And if that's if your if, if your threshold for the things you are trying to do are if your threshold is to try to make this other guy who's, you know, sophisticated and has been through these rodeos before, try to make him lose his shit on the air, the quality of the material you're doing that with is probably going to be pretty good. And that was the, that was the other reason it was, it was a success. I mean, my audience was Dan and Dan's audience was me. And Keith brought up, I thought, and it was the accurate way to describe our pairing is, could you take both of, you know, one of us for an hour? No. Could you take both of us for an hour? And the answer is yes. I, you know, my, my job was to compliment him because I knew that he was a big personality and not afraid to be a big personality. I was afraid to be, I'd love being stealth. I, I was not going to be out in front. I wanted to sneak up on you. So therefore, whatever he did, how do I compliment that? Not try to rival it. Cause that's, that's the problem with a lot of anchors on sports center is you're trying to keep up with each other. We kept up with each other by not trying to be mm. one another. And that was always a delicate balance, but that was the challenge that I took on every single night. But enough about us, Kenny. Have you got any questions about us? <laughs> uh, no, I like the way we're doing it. We didn't plan this before you wait and see if the guy's going to say something. And, and you know, it's like when they throw together a three-man ESPN2 road show or something. We used to. What we Are you trying hoping to get a headline out of this podcast? Not at all. And, and like a tease that says, "Oh my God!" No. I we we have a list of famous people I know, and you guys were on there. And then I was like, "Wait a minute." We're not together. I don't think too many people have heard you talk together about anything for quite a while. I did want to thank you, by the way, for taking time out from running that promo for your podcast or this podcast. Uh, I know that it, that that takes up 22 hours of the day for you every to appear <laughs> in every every streaming baseball broadcast in America, and then the ads. Uh, I hear you talk more now than I used to hear you in, in Bristol. So. I just want to thank you for taking time out to, from that to do this. Is there somebody filling in for you during the time? We're no, we're, we're, we're trying to get people to listen. It hasn't worked so far. I'm just prostituting you guys and your fame yeah. to try to draw. How old, is, how old is that house there behind you? That looks like 1920 uh, something. Okay. I like it. I like the, uh, the, the brick you there, there yeah. or you're just, uh, just <laughs> do they know you're in the backyard? This, I like all, shooting all back here. I like shooting in my backyard because I'm the I'm the most comfortable. I have casino dice in my hand. I usually have a football or casino dice. I always have like a pacifier. Is that a slate roof you got? It there? is a slate roof. Man, those there George, George Washington roof, yeah. slept there. <laughs> <laughs> I like shooting in my backyard too, as you Oh, nice backyard. Keith has yeah. a beautiful view of a park. Beautiful park. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. I had like nine really good questions. Thanks for joining us, guys. We've really been th- no, Is hey, it over? no, fuck no. We're going for oh, a long time. Oh. We're gonna go until my battery dies. Thirty-three percent left. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when you guys came back and did a show together. Was that the 40th anniversary, I think? Like yeah. they brought back old anchors and remember it was just yeah. a few years ago, right? We all this in yeah. 19, 2019, 40th anniversary. What was, what was that experience like? <laughs> Do you remember it, Dan? Do I need to walk you through this or what? Yeah, I remember it. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was fun. And I, I mean, I th- there were parts of it that were, uh, you know, like, let's, let's, let's have you guys reminisce about great this is sports center commercials. And it's like, well, okay. So you're going to use this one, this one, this one, this one. And these that Dan did that one, that one, they were good. No, none of these. These are all, uh, these are all ones with, uh, with, uh, Neil Everett. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. You know, I never met him. Um, you'd like him. <laughs> I'm sure I would. I mean, I've talked to him, but I've never met. I saw but you know, there were parts of it. that were just a little, what was, what, what worried me a bit, Dan, was that we apparently were the entirety of the 40th anniversary celebration. Just you and me coming on and doing about a, about fifteen minutes worth of show, and I mean, I th- I, th- I thought it went fine because uh, it recreated the original experience. There were a couple of basketball stories, and I knew nothing about them, and there were several baseball highlights, and Dan knew nothing about them. So it was exactly right. It was just the way it had been in nineteen ninety six. Just sat there, and he would he pointed at like, "Who's this?" I went, "That's uh, that name there. That's." Uh, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. Okay. Oh, it's not. I knew who he was. I know. I'm exaggerating. Stop it. But, but I mean, you could you could have pointed and I would have, who is this? Jordan Michaels? Who's this? Basketball player? <laughs> Chicago? Who is that? It took me like 27 years to come up with the way to get out of that problem where you say, these players on this team don't like to be recognized individually. They're <laughs> team players. And what a great assist that was by that man. Yes. yes. Um, did you have trepidation about coming back and even doing that? Or was it kind of an honor? Like, ah, you know, what the... F- I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go back. Did you get $10 million? Uh, I didn't want to go back because he was there. Because that was like, okay, we already did this. What the hell are we doing this? No, I'm kidding. Um, I didn't want to go back because it was a two-hour drive from New York. That was the whole point. <laughs> I mean, if, if, it, if it was something I'd, I... If it was a place I wanted to go because it was easy to get to, I never would have left. But no, it was... I, there were... There, there was some... There were there was a little angst about it that had to do with the scheduling and management's handling of the whole thing, but that that wasn't relevant. It was we got in the room and and started laughing at each other, which was the whole point of it. I think it was there you go. Put it this way, I think it was worth the trip. I don't know if it was like said you want to do it once a week. The answer would have been <laughs> no, but uh, but you know we we have we have come back and done things together before. That was you know that was one night's work, and we did you know we did the. That's Keith's dog. I did that one of them. That we did Dan's radio show. I did an hour with him for a couple of years um, at uh, ESPN. It was the first time I went back to work for them. And then we did Football Night in America, a little program you may have seen once in a while. Um, so, yeah, I just didn't. I didn't think that we could be what everybody thought we were. And and I just thought, you know what? I'd I'd rather leave it as a mystery. Like, wow, I hear those guys were pretty good. Not go back and then go. Uh, I don't. What's so big about those guys? And that's what I was concerned about that, you know, we did it. And like it would diminish the legacy of the cool thing you did for those years. Yeah, I'm proud of what we did. I've said he's the best teammate I ever had. Like when you're on the air and you're live, what's that guy going to do? What will that guy do for you? How does he help you out? How does he make 
make you better. And there was nobody else who was as selfless on the air as him because everybody's trying to establish themselves. He had, you know, an overabundance of confidence. So he wasn't worried about that. He was worried about doing a great show. And, and that helped immensely. So I just didn't want to go back and people go, I don't get what the big deal is about him because it was really a skeleton of what we once were. And it wasn't, it, I don't know. It just wasn't fair. The older we get, the better we were. That's, that's yeah, the but way you I, know what, but I, I don't know if you've sat down and looked at that thing, but that actually, the, no. the segment we did was actually <laughs> Bob Costas is looking at it. It was actually, he's just gotten to that from 2019. He'll be reviewing the 2020 tapes in the next eight to 12 months. He's going to get to this a little bit later on tonight. I will hear, I will, no matter what happens, I will hear from Bob that I have said any of the, I will hear from him. Some people tell him or he'll hear it or whatever. But you know what? But the thing was, looking at that, no, was it, was an, an identical recreation of every one of five and a half years of sports centers that we did? No, of course not. But there was a kind of, you know, insight cloaked in hitting each other and having just, and, and, and then the bottom line was every minute that we were on the air together for that, that one show, I think we enjoyed it. And the, that of course is the starting premise of any broadcast. If you are not enjoying it, there's no chance the viewer or listener to yeah. enjoy it. So I think we conveyed it. It's not, you know, it was not, it was not the Beatles but it was an incredible simulation and that was what they wanted. And I thought it was, you know, as I said, I thought it was worth the trip. And for once, you know, you and I in our dotage here, Dan appeared on something on ESPN that we chose rather than simply having a three second clip from the 1993 sports center show up in a documentary about the thousand yeah. or the 1986 Mets or Derek Jeter or whatever with, you know, and there I am with my mustache, uh, <laughs> it's this. But it was also great to see the people who still work there that we worked with. Mm -hmm. That to me was made it all worthwhile that you got to see the people behind the scenes. And, and those are the people that really day to day kind of kept you sane. Those are the people I enjoyed being around, um, whether it was, you know, somebody who ran prompter who was all of a sudden the coordinating producer and uh, or highlight supervisor. Glenn Jacobs, were, Glenn Jacobs stopped by at one yeah. point. The Mark Summer. Well, wait, but Mark but Summer. Glenn Jacobs is the, the for, I have to explain who he is because it's too good a story to be believable. They, early on in the Sports Center commercials, there is a commercial in which this kid who looks to be eight or nine years old is a production <laughs> assistant and he's running around with stacks of tapes and like Kilborn just says, I'll take this one and the whole pile collapses and the kid falls down the stairs and breaks his neck. And then in the next episode of the series, Glenn Jacobs, who is still looking like he's eight or nine years old, has become vice president of something and has called me in and he's telling, he's telling Bob Iger, he's going to meet him at Boca and all the rest of this stuff. And now he's, you know, reprimanding me for saying, uh, whatever, something, the, the, the Pillsbury people are on my ass for what you said. And it, and it's a whole gag that the quick promotion and the kid is, you know, a vice president of something two days later. Well, then I get back to ESPN after an interval of just 10 or 15 years, and he's actually a vice president or something, <laughs> and he still looks like he's nine years old instead of eight. And, you know, to see him again, at the point that, that Dan made, I had, of course, kind of a Rip Van Winkle thing to it because I was not in Bristol between 1997, the day I left, and the going away party that lasted three days. I was not in the studios at ESPN again until 2000 and... Uh, 18 or 19, I can't remember. I guess in the fall of 2018, I came up and did some sports centers. And I was not there in between. It was like it was, it was literally 
the story of, of uh, Rip Van Winkle waking up and not recognizing <laughs> anything. It's like, wait a minute, this square foot of territory here, I recognize that. That was the way that was in 1997. That one tile, that's, that, that carpet tile, that's the same one. I recognize that stain. It's still there. Everything <laughs> else here in this three-quarter mile, this square mile facility has been changed completely. It's like, that's over in building 37. <laughs> oh, when I got there, there were two buildings and a portable, like in junior high when they haven't finished construction. And ESPN2 came to you live from the garage in the back, and the engineers were always pissed at us that we were using their space. Yes. Oh, we're, we're going to park the truck now in the parking lot? That's bullshit. <laughs> For this show, and you know, at the beginning, it was like, well, this is a very important program. And within three weeks of ESPN2 launching, I was like, no, you're right. You want to back the truck in right now and just run us over much better, <laughs> much more entertaining. And it will it'll make us feel much better. Speaking of, I'd always, you know, we love doing those sports center commercials. At least I did. And they were, there was a very funny long campaign. Um, I remember pitching. They never wanted to hear the pitches. Those like we went to film school, we'll have, you know, but they let you ad lib quite a bit. I remember saying, what if we did one where like Ralph Nader, Jesse Jackson, they're trying to unionize the PAs. But then the Disney tank comes in and mows over everyone in a, this is sports. <laughs> and the answer to that was, oh, my God, Kenny got plan number 36 out of our 12. So what the hell? Fire everybody. There's, there's a leak because, you know, that's what they wanted to do, obviously. <laughs> Let's get to 1997, important in my life. Um, Keith, why did you leave and where did you go? within a one minute, please. Well, I saw the opportunity that would be presented for you and I wanted to get out of the way. It was like, you know, that's the selflessness for which Dan referred there. You know, by the way, Dan, when you said that about me being a great teammate, you, no one has ever quoted you on that and nobody believes you. I, I mean, I, I, I think know. it's true, but, but I think that's what a team player does during the game. You try to help your other teammates. That's my illusion of it. <laughs> Others believe that a team player is somebody who will work for free for eight years. So, okay, but, but, but my, okay, why did I leave? I left because I began to mail it in. Ultimately, I felt like I was mailing it in. And I once wrote a lead-in to Tiger Woods winning, I guess, the, was it either the Open or the PGA at Congressional? And my, I found that my introduction to the last round, he's clearly going to win. And the, my lead-in, which I wrote at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, was about how this was the whatever anniversary of the founding of the U.S. Congress. And if there had not been a founding of the U.S. Congress, there would never have been a golf course called Congressional. And Congressional is where Tiger Woods went for the championship at the PGA today. And I was thinking, I may not care as much about this as I used to, or I may not be able to do this as frequently as I used to. And I wanted to try something else. And I thought I was going to go. And also, I wanted to live somewhere else because I had lots of comments in, over the years about my you know, hating Bristol or Southington or the place where I lived. And that was not really true. I just didn't fit in there because it's a place to raise a family. And I was a guy who was used to sidewalks and mm -hmm. not families. So I wanted to get back, as I always said, get back and live in New York again before the only thing I was good for was, a, was to be a mugging victim. <laughs> and, and I was going to get a job in New York doing something. And I thought it was going to be sports. And then the offer came in from NBC to do uh, baseball and football for them and do this little news show on this cable network uh, every night. And it was supposed to be a news magazine. And then it turned into, you know, an hour, two hours, four hours a night about Monica S. Lewinsky. So, that, I mean, that's it. That's it in the short version. And there was also a matter of maybe a little matter of money. Um, probably 75% of it is the money, but about it. But then you're left 
alone, Dan. <laughs> How are you doing right then? Keith just left. That, that good. Team. Not good. No, because I'm mad at him yeah. because I know that he'll regret it. I know it, but I know that he has to leave. So if I'm going to be fair to him and be a friend, I'm going to say how what I feel, but I do know that this is probably best for him because I didn't want him to stay. He was miserable and, and he wasn't having fun. Therefore, I wasn't either. You know, you, I kind of dreaded going in and I never, ever did that. I looked forward to it. I knew it was going to be fun. It was exciting. It was live TV. But after a while, it was just, dude, you know, you got to go. I mean, this is what I'm saying in my mind. And I remember management came to me and they were like, we can't talk to him. Can you? And I go, no, no, that's not my job. No, I like I, I've tried. And then when he said he was going to go to Fox and then I was angry, like you, if you take another job, that's one thing. But if you take another job to then compete with me on this show, then I was really pissed at him. But, you know, it, it was. But you had to have known that was not going to work. And I was doing it on the and to get out of. But I, I tried, tried to tell you. Kowinski, remember, you, got, you sort of you, you and I'm not. No, everybody thinks, well. Dan keeps a record of where Keith went to work and then complete record. There was a year and a half between nearly two years between my leaving and my going to Fox in the interim, went to NBC to do a news show and the, the baseball and all of that. And then they turned it into, we're going to do the Monica Esposito story every night, whether there's news or not. And we want you to get as dirty and salacious and talk about, you know, stained dresses all the time and get more, 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 down, more, more, more. <laughs> Uh, and I just was like, I, I'm going to get anything, anything I can find. I was thinking of quitting and going and becoming a teaching assistant at Cornell. That was one of my other offers and doing radio on the side and sort of doing, so just saying, okay, that's it. I'm jumping off the cliff here and going to the lower end of the business. And then the Fox people came and said, Hey, would you go on against sports center every, every night for $3 million? And I went, yes, I would. Surprisingly enough, my answer to that is yes. And we did it and it was for a while, good fun. And, uh, it was an intriguing sort of thought experiment to see if I could attach myself to every bit of publicity that Dan got. And it was, just, that was the fun part of it. And it was like, oh, this will blow up eventually. And then it turned out that my salary was like 30% of their budget. And I went, I'm selling my house right now because there is no way this can succeed. And it didn't. Yeah. So, you know, there, there was not, it was not immediate, it was not a straight line to me going into competition yeah, and it right. wasn't, it was, it was annoying competition as opposed to, you know, I'm coming to take your, your house from you, Dan. It wasn't that. And, and it was never meant personally in that sense, obviously, but yeah, I mean, you can't, you, you I had to get out of the situation that I was in again. And, um, it was a pretty good option for the options that were available to me at that. What year is that? 99 and in 98, I got sold by NBC to Fox for a million dollars, like a, like a and duly Womack, right? Duly exactly. Womack. <laughs> like future considerations and a player to be named later. And, and they DFA'd Kevin Frazier and made room for me on the roster in there. And what, but I, I felt the same way Keith did, but it took a longer time. And that was 16 years ago where I thought I was mailing in the six o'clock sports center. The last two years, I did not want to do it. And then I thought, I would hate for somebody to be sitting in a chair who didn't want to be there. And there are other people who should have gotten that opportunity. Mm. And I remember saying to my wife, I got to go. I just got to go. Like, I don't want to be here. And then that's, you know, when I had a, a meeting with 2149 and, you know, I just 
it, he gave me a take it or leave it. And I just said, you know, I, I can leave it. I can leave it. And but I there there was that. OK, now what are you going to do? I don't know. But I, I thought I was being phony those last two years. So it's and, like you didn't know what you wanted to do. You just knew you didn't want to do this anymore. Well, I ended up working in my attic for three years. So it's not like it was one of those, man, he knew what he wanted to do. He's got it made. He's in his attic for three years. But I never had a better time in those three years, except for when I was with Keith. Those were fun. Being in your attic with the other guys, you're, you're starting a show and it's, all, you know, just the beginning, the embryonic stages. And you're like, God, this is what it's all about. You're fighting for survival. And I loved it because it reinvigorated. And it created me, but, what you've been doing for a good long time yeah. successfully now. Yeah, so 16 years. But, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. With well, you, you mentioned you, you jumped way ahead. Keith jumped a couple <laughs> years. I can't do chronologically, Kenny. I'm I got, just going you back know, to the I fucking part about tonight. me. I just want to talk about oh, me. Okay. All right. So let me tell you the story. All right. Let, do you want me to tell you when I found out that you got the job? Yeah, this is like four months Let's after Keith Take a Keith little left. nap back here, okay? Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You take some time off. This is for me. Management comes to me and they go, Management. Who wants to? <laughs> they did. Uh, it was uh, John Walsh, Steve Bornstein, Bob Eaton, Steve Hello. Anderson. And they said, who do you want to anchor with? And I said, you guys pick. Your guys are going to be the ones watching. And they go, okay, we're going to have people, you know, we're going to have rotating anchors. And I go, okay. And I, at that point, I, I didn't, I wasn't thinking of forward. I was just thinking about, you know, Keith left. I remember I, I said to Bornstein, who ran ESPN, I said, pick who you want. I don't care. I went on a camping trip with my son, no cell phone, had no idea. Next thing I know, I'm getting messages from people who were pissed at me because I didn't go to bat for them to take that job, to you know, take Keith's job. I had no input whatsoever, none. And I didn't want it because I wanted this to be on management. Okay, you wanted Keith, you know, Keith was trouble. Okay, Keith's gone. Now you guys pick who you want in there. And I thought that they were going to pick uh, Rich Eisen or Linda Cohn. And then when they came back and they said, uh, Bornstein, I think, was a big proponent of yours. And he said, you know, we're going to go with Kenny Mayne. And I, my first reaction was, I guess I got to do all the serious stories. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Kenny gets to do the highlights. I'll do, uh, you know, a death in race car driving. Yeah, I think that's a misconception of what I <laughs> could do and still conceivably could do. <laughs> Is it? Wait a minute, I'm awake now. What a joke. No, I'm going to argue my own. I, I get the criticism because that was held for 27 years. But I think, you know, I did Kobe's death. I did other serious things. To, like when it's time to be serious, you're serious. When it's time not I'm to be serious. I'm just telling you what they said. Serious. We don't no, have no, to no, go No, no, no. I got no problem with it. I'm just defending my as my own agent. I'm just that that I mean, I had an, a sports center anchor count the highlights that I had compared to the person, the person I'm working with. Like oh. there was just. Can I guess who that was? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you're no. not good. No, oh, oh, it, oh, it, oh. I had like, you know, there was just stuff that went on. There was so much competition. There were people who were mad at me because I didn't go to bat for them. And I told them I was not going to side with anybody. I was it's not because. I didn't compete at all and had not one single conversation. Hey, I'd like this job. I'd like to be, I was just let nature take its course. It was a surprise to me. Additionally, 
like me, like I've only been there three years, you know, it was fucking assembling garbage cans, two jobs back. So to me, it was like this. Oh, but there was a lot of pressure too. It's like, oh shit, this is this thing that's been really popular. Now I'm the new guy. So definitely there was nervousness at the start, but I think you made it more comfortable. Well, yeah, I think that there there were people who imitated other people in there and tried to be other people, and and you were different. I I think because it didn't it didn't appear as if it mattered as much to you as it did some of the other people, and I think it allowed you to just be yourself on there when you did it, and and probably to your benefit. You stayed a good long more time, so you couldn't have hated it that much, right? You stayed ten more years to twenty oh seven. I. Yeah. Well, 16 years. Yeah. But I always appreciated our friendship. You know, I thought you were like a, just a real guy and there was no bullshit about you and you didn't put on airs. You just, you kind of went in there and did it and we had fun. Uh, I, you know, it's not like I went in there and I went, okay, he's not Keith. You weren't, but you were somebody different and unique. And I, and, and then it was up to me to bring you in. And and make that work. So I mm. I never I never had an issue with you being a sports center anchor with me. Never. I, I can recall being genuinely um impressed that management had chosen you as opposed to some of the more obvious candidates for the same reason that Dan just uh mentioned. You could you could conceivably pick somebody who did the job that did a, a sports cast that sounded as much like like my part of of, of Sports Center had sounded, it could have gone that way. Or if somebody had some insight, that could have said, "What we need here is somebody who is different than than everybody else and is presenting themselves organically and not doing an act and not trying to imitate somebody else and genuinely being different." And that can be different in a lot of different ways. I mean, I thought to some degree many of the decisions they made later about about our friend Stu Scott was the same thing. It was like, well, this isn't, you would never associate Stu's work and stylistically and my work, but, but the premise was he was going to go out there and be himself. And the same thing I think applied to you in those days and, and today, Kenny. And I think that was why, I mean, I thought it was a really good choice and I don't know if you ever got them, but I sent you uh, lovely welcoming gifts, uh, after uh, some flowers, I think the first night of your your I don't yeah I don't recall no because probably somebody in management stole them <laughs> sold, sold them downstairs you know in in the uh, in the lunchroom that was open three days out of every seven uh, <laughs> you know there there was a the, 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 it just it it showed some inspiration I distinctly remember like I'm an agent and a couple months later I call Howard Katz I said hey I think you guys kind of screwed me here because you <laughs> offered me a contract that I turned down I thought I could get more elsewhere or I was just going to gamble on myself. And then you gave me the job to sit next to Dan, but you didn't change. It was so I was worth that much money to not be with Dan. But now you fucking stuck me on your biggest show with Dan, well, and it's the exact same amount of money. And Howard, to his credit, you're right. We did screw you, and he made a very nice change in it. If you caught him, he just went, "Yep, it's true. Here's twenty thousand dollars." But <laughs> I, what I, I, you know, you know, give you the advice not. To, I was saying that laudably, like I appreciated I know, that I, he was I, honest. No, and I, <laughs> but I appreciated he was honest too, because the other guys would have just said, "No, screw you." So what if you caught yeah. me? I'm doing it anyway. Goodbye. But the, the 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 thing with you and the contract, the first time Fox approached me, I was I was still like in the middle of the contract at Sports Center in '96. They hadn't launched yet, and they they reached out and they offered me seven figures and that there was nobody in sports center making I mean, they could have piled three or four of us 
on top of each other and we were making seven figures. And they wanted to give me that money to go out and go into direct competition. And apart from the fact that it was not doable contractually, uh, there was something I, I thought very unethical about doing that, except doing it two years later. It was not quite as unethical in my mind. But <laughs> but it's the, the, the point of it was, the day that I got that offer, I walked into a little temporary mail room in our little temporary, always temporary facilities in Sports Center. And you and Bill Pito and Stu Scott and Eisen were all standing there, you know, talking and, you know, hey, whatever. And I said, I got a piece of advice for you guys. Don't any of you sign new contracts because the price of sportscasters is about to go up. And you were the only one who listened to me. I remember one. that. And initially you got pummeled for it, as you mentioned financially. But all the other, I mean, Stu and, and, and Rich in particular signed deals. And then, you know, it's like three years later, made new deals for themselves. And they were still being paid 50% of what they were worth because there was a change in the market. And, and I knew that because somebody just offered me a phenomenal amount of money. I thought I was going to tell you that, but, but you were the only one who listened. And so I probably owe you whatever you did not make in that interim until they finally paid. We called it the, the line of Steiner. Somebody found out how much Charlie, and I love Charlie. <laughs> and, and you knew that he was, you knew Dan and Keith are way the fuck up there and, and Lee and, and, uh, Berman, so, you know, a couple others, Stuart was starting to rise through, but if you could get to Steiner, you were doing pretty well. <laughs> no, that was my goal. I <laughs> get me to the line of Charlie Steiner. Oh my God. How much fun was it to drop in? I think Dan referenced it earlier, like a joke that eight people get, but it makes you giggle and makes you show better. Like Keith referenced Bob Eaton, one of our managers back then, and he always would walk through the hall, and if you'd see me go, hello, he, that's just was his greeting. And Dan or Keith and Dan, I think Keith did it the most, 2,000 times. How many times did you start a show with hello? Uh, out of 2,000 shows, probably 2,000 times. <laughs> but Dan, you, I mean, you, you delighted in this too. And, and I think we shared in this, it was one of the ways that we got through all the, the negative things that, that genuinely sometimes would just take the wind completely out of your sails was they went on, I think a three year search to find out who I was doing that impression of. And nobody could figure <laughs> out. And they, you know, bring us in and go, I could. Say, oh, we got a job. We're just trying to figure out phone usage here. When you're on the phone with somebody in the office, somebody, the manager, <laughs> who are you on the phone with the most often that you call in management rather than go to see who's instead of going to their office, you go to see Norby the most or Walsh the most or Bob Eaton the most. You go to see Steve Anderson the most or who do you phone the most? What number do you dial most frequently? I mean, what is it? 2157 or 2149? And they tried this for three years and never, ever, ever figured it out and it, as opposed to just asking you right because of course i would have it, it, particularly if it had started another investigation i would have said well it's eaten what the hell's wrong with you people don't you don't you don't you talk to your own executives don't you know who i'm doing so that but also that satisfaction was great you also have to factor in that yes it was for eight people but it didn't if you didn't know the reference in-house you weren't bothered by it Right. You know, I remember I think it was a grounder that went went through Jerry Dubzinski's legs and Keith went, hello. And and I just went, holy shit, he's he's mocking our boss, <laughs> but nobody in a loving way. Yeah, but you it was just a it was a it was a great call just right. to go. Hello. 
grew as it went through the wicket. And, and so it wasn't where you go only eight people would ever get it. There would be thousands that would think that was cute, that it did go through his legs, not, oh, I don't get that reference. And I think we were always very careful of, you know, if you're going to make a reference, don't have it be so only eight people get it. And the other people go, uh, those guys talk in a different language or, you know, I don't know who they're referring to. When, when Fox announced, to go back to this again, just because it is a good joke, when Fox announced that they were going to go into the, the sports center business, because frankly, that's what it was. It, they might as well have called the show Sports center Um, It was just a ripoff. And they used, obviously, lots of people who had done Sports Center. But the, the, the announcement of it came, I think, simultaneous with the split of the zip codes uh, or the, the area codes for Connecticut. And uh, Bristol and Southington and I think Hartford got the 860 area code as opposed to, what was it, 213. So uh, these two stories were together. And, and for some reason in the rundown, there was a story we were supposed to mention that Fox Sports was going into the cable sports business. And I was like, well, okay, um, I, this is probably enough for me that I don't have to do anything. I just get to read this to the audience. But, but maybe I can twist the knife in here a little bit more. <laughs> I said, you know, it's like blah, blah, blah. And they're announcing they're going to launch. They're going to have a sports center style show and they're going to do games and everything else. And, and unrelated story, the area code in Bristol, Connecticut has just changed from 203 to 860. Dan, and right on camera, and Dan is like holding his, holding his mouth shut to avoid the laughter. And that was, that was, that, that you could classify that as an inside joke. But, but my understanding was there were like 35 people in the newsroom who, you know, who again, to those who were drinking Coca Cola, had it come out their nose. And that was you wanted point. to come out their nose. That's yeah. it. That's the whole point. Milk the best, but Coke will work. Keith seemed like the rebellious one, the tortured genius ready to burn <clears throat> down the house for his principles. Dan seemed like, you know, kind of a smartest, but the more the company guy. Did you have to talk Keith off the ledge or were you just as rebellious, but you did it in more stealthy ways? Sawatsky would be very disappointed in how you asked that question, by the way. Fuck Sawatsky. <laughs> I never went to those things. They taught us how to ask questions. Yeah. If you get an answer, that's a good question. Uh, I could just say yes. And then what's your answer? <laughs> and I'd say continue. Elaborate. Uh, I chose to be stealth. Probably more of a kiss ass than I'm proud of. <laughs> but I tried to keep the peace. I kept thinking, how do I keep this? Because I realized what it was. Because I work with Bob, and Bob's as professional as anybody I ever worked with. But it wasn't, you know, the, what we did on the air was different than what yeah. Keith and I did. And I thought, God, can we keep this going? And I realized I, I didn't think I could. But the more that I played safe with them, that I felt like I could glean some kind of information from them that maybe I could pass it on to Keith to say uh, from headquarters, they're disappointed that you wrote a memo about the lighting in the parking lot. And uh, Keith would be a fuck them, you know, I, I'm going to so, write a memo about you telling me not to write a memo. And it'll be 51 pages with illustrations. Yeah, but I was trying, I, I, I definitely wanted to be stealth. Uh, but on the, don't you think to some degree, because I, because I would go out and, and stand there and go, go ahead, shoot me. Um, <laughs> this provided you, if you went, went beyond the pale in what would have been say in Bob's time when you were co-anchoring 11 with him, which would have, if you'd said some of the things you said, uh, when we worked together, when you worked with Bob or even perhaps later, 
that they would have, you know, brought you in and suspended you for eight weeks. I think I provided you a little cover on some of these things to the point where by the, by the fourth or the third or fourth year, when you would go on vacation, I would always wear the proverbial seatbelt on the first night back because the first night back you had 60 minutes worth of shit you wanted to say. Yeah, it was all kind of, it was all right on the edge. Like my, I would, I would sit there and go, did he really say that? And if I said, did he really say that? And we had many meetings with management about, you got to calm Dan down on that first night of vacation. And I was like, well, first off, that was last night. How do I go back in time and do that? And two, no, I don't. I mean, you know, he's, he's excited to be back. We, the audience is excited to have him back. Why can't he have fun? But I think to some degree, there was a little cover on that. And I want to add one thing to the idea of, of, of the, the, our sports center being something worth preserving. I always like to mention this in every context. And, and again, it's, it's like the team player thing. If I have any regrets, it's that people don't pick this up. After I agreed to left to leave, the job I was going to go and take was going to be four nights a week in New York. And I was going to be working on the air Monday through Thursday and have Friday, Saturday, and Sunday off. And my new bosses said, you know, if you want to do something else on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday in television, we'd be happy to have it because that would be publicity for our new show which was going to be at court TV, if you can imagine. And one of the ideas that I came up with was to go to, to Howard Katz and say, how about we just continue the Sunday night show? Because the Sunday night show at that point was repeated so often that it made up maybe 50 or 60% of the total audience that would see us in a week. And I went to Howard and said, if you'll bring me up in a car and let me live in New York and work somewhere else, uh, I will do Sunday Sports Center and anything else you want, we can negotiate. You want to do some radio commentaries or whatever else you like. But if you let me come up and just do that one show, I'll do it for $50,000 a year and car fare. And they thought about that apparently in a series of meetings for three days and came back with the most honest answer I ever got, which was, if we do that, if you're working somewhere else and working for us, we will not be able to control you. So sadly, we're, we're going to have to let it go. But we, there was an attempt to keep some of that show intact, even after I'd already made the believe. I just put that on the record. So there. Remember the show you guys did where you said you mockingly called it the big show because it went on long? Or are you guys okay if this thing we're doing now could be my version of the big show? We go slightly longer than I promised you. Another ten minutes. You got five minutes, Kenny. God damn you. <laughs> Well, I'll give you another five minutes. So there. Yeah, Keith okay. will give you five more minutes after the five minutes I give you. How's that? All right. Let's talk about the cafeteria <laughs> when I first got there. <laughs> and and I said this, I interviewed Katie Nolan earlier, and I said, I, every time I have old ESPN friends, I don't want it to be like, let's bash ESPN for an hour. And we're not even effectively, at least I'm not, trying. We're just telling stories of the truth of the existence. So as you tell your story, if it sounds like bashing, too bad. It's just... The story you're telling. Well, I your wouldn't story. be here without them. Without I was going to say. I mean, I wouldn't be. They, there are so many remarkable people there. It's just and management. Management was not ready to handle what happened with the explosion of Sports Center. Exactly. That, that's what it comes down to. Exactly. And, and and it happened, and it happened overnight. And next thing you know, we're something. We didn't know what, but we were something. And management was like, oh, my God, they're all going to want a million dollars. You know, we got to keep them under their, you know, our thumbs. Yeah. And that's that was really what hampered SportsCenter yep. is I just didn't think they understood. And, and rightfully so. I mean, it was a tidal wave that came through there where all of a sudden, like 1995, and then the commercials came out and the ESPYs. And I mean, there was just so much going on. And it was like, 
bam, it all hit at once. But I, I know I, I, I criticize critique, but deep down, uh, you know, I was lucky to spend 18 years there. That was a good summarization. Thank you. I, that's kind of what I was trying to get to, but I still want to talk about the fucked up cafeteria. <laughs> so when I first got there, it was a small, it was a small building and company trying to be big. And then, like you just said, they quickly got big, but there were two buildings. There was a, a portable thing and, and you, anybody could come, you could drive in from any city in America and pull in and try to meet Chris Berman. That there was no security. It was just, here I am. I'm in the parking lot. Mike of the <laughs> stayed with the receptionist. Came to Bristol and Millie, the receptionist. So they had Millie. They had this tiny, you know, it was like a like a small room, and there was a vending machine or two. And then this lady would come in two or three times a week with hot lunch, like the hot lunch lady from the junior. They went right and Thursday. I think yes, there was hot lunches, but Wait, we only had the the vending machines there for a long time. Because she was gone by two thirty. So if you wanted to eat after two thirty, screw you. <laughs> and then the vending machines were there, and there were no more than three vending machines, and they all had. You know, the Ritz crackers with the, with the uh, <laughs> peanut butter and the uh, cheese on them. And it was like, well, I've got 62 different choices and they're all peanut butter and cheese crackers. That's exciting. But, uh, my memory of the, my memory of that, of that little cafeteria in those days was going in once like, I don't know, eight o'clock at night to try to get some, some Ritz crackers with, with the uh, peanut butter and cheese on them. And your wife was there, Dan, uh, with, I guess, all, at that point, all three of your children. And it was in that golden period of time where not one of them was contributing to their own survival. That, that miracle period of time, I walk in and I remember Jack was, was about to put his tongue and three of his fingers on an electrical outlet. He was like, like, I think, like this is it, like, I hear. And your, I can't remember what the order in the sequence was, but your youngest was being held by Sue over her left shoulder by the feet. <laughs> It was dangling over, <laughs> uh, over her back like that. And the middle one at the time had their head inside that vending machine, inside the, 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 uh, the pullout slot. And I just walked in. And I went, Hey, Sue. Hey, Keith. I said, how you doing? And she's and just like, there's a wiggling child's feet that I can see over her shoulder. And there's another one who's about to lick the electrical socket. And yeah. everyone is like, well, we'd get him out with a pair of pliers. That shouldn't yeah. get her out. Yeah. I can't tell from here because the head's inside the bed. <laughs> and she then, I said, so how are you? And she went, well, I'm a little tired, but okay. Then I was like, hey, you know, perhaps I have, <laughs> I have made the right decision not to be a parent. I don't think I could handle this for 30 seconds. And she is the all-star of all of Paul. Yeah. yeah. Then we added one more. I know. Yeah. Like, then do you remember, you remember their birthdays? Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Good. Because you remember yeah. with the book? You ever remember their name? Can you yeah. remember the story about this? I don't think so. The book that we did had to be the second publishing. We had to pay for changes in it because Dan got two of their birthdays wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I didn't understand dad. it until I saw Sue Hank. I got the like, date. Got I just the, didn't. You got I didn't get the year. number. I can't. Sometimes I look at my dogs and I go, where did this fourth one come from? <laughs> so I think I, I think I understand it now in a way that I perhaps. Didn't, oh, yeah. You know. I, you know. That's why I have Keith. As long as Keith is alive, he can always you know, tell my stories because there's always a loose end there where I'll go, do you remember that time? And Keith goes, no, that, that didn't happen that way. Oh, it didn't. And then he would tell me and I go, oh, and it happened to me. And Keith knew it, the story better than I did. You were a little busy and a little tired. So Something propagating like frequently. So there was Something. Hey, can we end on a very sentimental journey? First of all, Dan, wishing you good health. I know you came out a couple of years ago, and 
and why well, didn't come out oh, whatever that is you know that this man is news <laughs> i have not received what is no what is this? it's different story he explains he it noted a medical thing he was dealing oh, with yes. and i wanted to wish you well and hope it's all good thank you yeah, yeah. same sincerely I, uh, i'm uh I, I i continue to battle it every day kenny but thank you i'm uh i'm i'm doing better thank you good thank you what are you doing now Kenny? yeah kenny this minute <laughs> or career-wise how many bedrooms mean? are in that house <laughs> you're I, it's you're welcome to come up anytime you, you you've never you, invited me you're open invitation Have I, did no, i invite you to anything i that, did once or twice i think you came, I came to my front yard and yep. yeah you were throwing the football around yep that's all i have when was left. the last time you were at my house kenny uh i was there not that long within the last six months maybe in the last summer yeah it, it, yeah. it was a uh, 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 resistance meeting and also you were giving me some <laughs> you were giving me some topical advice charlie steiner gave me great advice after i left he said the greatest ability one can have and whatever it is to do whether it's personal whether it's business whatever is the ability to say no and i think both of you have whether you got that from charlie or just learned it on your own <laughs> like you charlie. both you both pulled that off you both said no at the times you wanted to say no to things ended up doing okay I have learned that from Charlie when he was my boss. Can you imagine, by the way, being my boss when I was 21 years old? Can you imagine such torture? <laughs> and the two guys who were Sam Rosen and Charlie Steiner are both still in the business. Having, I guess, if you survived me at that age, you're sort of <laughs> immortal or something. I don't know. We'll see you again on Monday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nothing oh. will happen between now and then. Yeah. Oh, that one drove us crazy. <laughs> Signing off the six o'clock sports center. But yeah. not not as much as as us calling it the big show drove him crazy. Oh my God, Charlie! Charlie, you did I, call it the big show. Charlie and I, uh, you know, I, it was literally when I worked for him in radio in 1981 and 82. He was the boss, and I was the entirety of the staff. And he used to dress me as son. Just make the phone call for me, and and that was the starting point. <laughs> so even at ESPN, there was this res residual kind of back and forth, and after that. After I left and got into politics and he was a very political fellow, we, we, we reached a very good friendship that has endured all this time. And, and still, and still there's a little leftover in my corner of, of, of knowing that he's still pissed at me because we called the 11, the big show. And, and he thought that he's all oh, that. We do a lot of uh, law important and difficult. Then <laughs> it's a, it's not a cakewalk at and I will always say, yeah, I know. I mean, even if it, this show was written for you and you just went on the air with it, you still had to deal with all management still being there, which we <laughs> have to do. And literally sitting on in, in back of you going, no, that should be a comma. You can't go on here unless you change that to a comma. Can't say that. It must be a comma. So I thought we were at peace, but apparently Charlie still has a little in the back of his head. But you, every once in a while, you hear a little like my we'll work on Charlie. Yeah. Um, Kenny, we'll, we'll that's been you. great. This it is, has it's been, been great. Uh, as this Dan, lasted longer than the, than the re, the 40th anniversary. Yeah, it did. Uh, yeah. yeah. It, you guys were that good. And Keith tells really long stories as oh, uh, both of you oh, noted. Oh, okay. As both, okay. Yeah. Yeah. As both yeah. of you well noted, ESPN was the greatest thing in your lives. Thank you for joining us. Okay. All right. Dan All Patrick. right. All right. Peace out. All Keep right, Kenny. Okay. All right. Thank you, guys. All right, Kenny. All right, Kenny. All you right. You know what? I think it's beautiful to team back up. Are You're you going to me up? Are you going to cut this part out, Kenny? Which part? No, leave like right this now. all in. Like right no. now. I think your 
I think you're amusingly <laughs> mocking me here. I don't think it's real. Nobody said no to you yet on the podcast. <laughs> Dan, Dan used to get mad at me because he said I tried to always be the last thing in the show. Like the goodbye was like 19 seconds and he'd say something, I'd say something, and I'd say one more thing. Is Why do you always have to go last? Yeah. I was, tr- I was trying no, to make see, money. I just stopped, and then you had to go again. I was trying to make money. Uh, uh, I appreciate hey, your time. Kenny, Be well. Thank you Kenny, so much. Watch this. When I take my, I turn my microphone off, I'm saying the last word, fuck you. <laughs> hey, Maine is a production of me, Kenny Maine, and Odyssey. Our senior producer is Paul Aspen. Our executive producer is Jody Avergan. And our executive producer for Odyssey is Lena Glazer. Social media support by Joey Capone. If you like our show, please rate us, leave a review, and don't forget to subscribe.